Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on Station KALA. Our guest for this 419th show is Kyle Munson, former journalist for the Des Moines Register and president of the Western Iowa Journalism Foundation, and we're going to be talking about the Western Iowa Journalism Foundation. Our history buff for today is Terry Toppler. Terry, start us off. Yeah, Kyle, I like what you said earlier about the importance of community journalism, how it embraces hope, it supports a community identity, and a unifying Mm -hmm. force. Um, I think also we've talked briefly about social media, how actually it has uh, created partisanship, and we've started to lose our community identity instead looking at you know what side of the fence we're on as opposed to being part of one larger community Um, which brings me actually to what you had said that Iowa has lost about 17 percent of its local newspapers so my question is will there be funding perhaps for brand new startup newspapers in some of these um desert climates as you talk about desert media climates Mm. uh, for people that maybe want to get into the newspaper industry yeah no that's a good question so yeah that 70 percent figure you know there's a good study and an online map of the university of north carolina that where they have been tracking these spreading news deserts and and so uh, the data largely comes from that and that goes back to i believe 2004 so that's that's kind of the bookend of that uh for those for that figure uh, to answer your question, in the long term, yes. I mean, with this phased approach, we we don't uh, exclude ourselves from helping you know any particular type of of media because we realize long term future sustainability to reach audiences. These community newsrooms have to be able to adapt. I mean, the newspaper in Carroll, for instance, used to publish used to be a daily newspaper, and now it's print twice twice weekly. And Doug Burns, the publisher that you know was the Who's, this is organization kind of, it's his brainchild he's not on the board it's um, you know it's a totally independent board and, and I'm the president of it but uh, as a publisher working in small town in, in rural Iowa he realizes he's not going to go back to a model where it's printing you know a, a print newspaper every day of the week so transformation has to happen but just for the the near term of this organization we have again we have to provide proof of concept we can't stretch ourselves too thin and we have to have a phased approach so that's where initially we have this focus to help sustain and transform these uh, you know traditional newspapers that are doing all they can to do that and so that's where we're focused right now but yeah there are a lot of different ways that you could see uh, local community journalism springing up in a lot of different ways um, to to help fill the gap to, uh, you know, to stop the spread of the news desert. Rick. Kyle, since I'm a uh, political science junkie, I was uh, wondering, basically looking at the down uh, ballot elections in the last uh, go-round, does, mm-hmm. does the, these news uh, deserts uh, in western Iowa impact the... I want to say misinformation because there were, uh, Western Iowans uh, voted for the wrong people, as far as I'm concerned, who were not interested in their their interests. But does this news 
desert impact of this, uh, uh, the, the political divisions between uh, western Iowa and, let's say, uh, urban, urban Iowa? Well, I I would say yes, but I but that's you know, that's a really good question because we are want, that's something that we're studying right now, trying to put a finer point or more detailed, more geographically specific points on some of that stuff to quanti- to be able to quantify it in our region for being able to demonstrate the impact and to and to show it at a, at a very granular level. So, I mean, I I believe that lack of coverage does drive just more voter apathy and dissatisfaction and, and, and partisanship and division, I, I do believe. So um, we want to, part of our work is to show and, and, and quantify that with, you know, through credible sources and research uh, more and more. And we had, we had a couple of interns, uh, our first interns over the winter, just doing some initial work and research and interviews um, and they were wonderful, and that worked out really well. So we're going to be doing more of that, as well as just partnership with uh, academic allies and others to be able to to fill in um, to really make some real detailed answers to to what you're asking. Um, I mean, there there's plenty, there's plenty of evidence there. Um, actually, one of one of the things about not being an, an active journalist right now, this I was able to work as a as a volunteer in the last election, in the presidential election. <laughs> And that was a lot of fun and made me actually gave me a lot of faith in, in our election systems, which uh, just operated wonderfully. And it was it was fun to see the process up close after having covered it as a journalist for so many years on election night, you know, having done that. But to actually be a poll worker, um, it, was, it was fun to have that view. And I and I always want to get I, I'm always sad when I see like a local school board election or, or whatever where we have such low turnout, and um, mm-hmm. I, I want to see people more engaged. Um, Kyle, I, I want to kind of go back to um, uh, Terry's question a little bit, and, and uh, if, one of, if our other co-host, John Keeley, were here, he would have very early on mentioned that in his wife's hometown of Kinsett, which is a little tiny burg, kind of north-central um, Iowa, uh, mm-hmm. One of her cousins ran the Kinsett Courier um, out of their basement on a mimeogram, mimeograph machine and published mm-hmm. once a week. And she was the, uh, the entire uh, newsroom. She was the one doing all the interviews and going around. And so that grassroots sort of thing. Um, and so that made me think, is part of the expertise that that you're going to try to provide? I know that that financial is is your thing, but it sure seems to me that there there needs to be some sort of grassroots um, process for struggling newsrooms to be able to to get a hold of professional, semi-professional, amateur um, journalists to provide content um, because, you know, one of the things that, that and you were talking about social media, one of the problems that social media has is that now you have computers um, basically predetermining the news you're going to be exposed to, um, you know, by, by reading your, by an algorithm that determines your preferences. And it seems to me that the solution to that problem is to have your news come from lots of different people with lots of different points of view. 
Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you kind of how how these struggling newsrooms might be able to help that situation or reinvent themselves in that way? Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me let me try to answer that, and then if I do a poor job, just uh, go ahead and, and ask some follow up. But well, first of all, I love the the anecdote about the Kinsey Courier and the mimeograph because actually, if I go back to my roots, my first. Uh, my very first newspaper was my sixth grade newsflash in, in tiny Macedonia, Iowa, which was printed on mimeograph in, in my school. So that was, um, I love that. So, um, so I think part of your question is about how do we, in terms of accessing expertise or really helping some of these, the smallest newsrooms to innovate and to transform, we do want to be able to connect them with, um, you know, their peers and other experts nationwide that can, helping some of that work and you know some of that work has been going on even some of the newsrooms that we are already connected with have been in various groups some of them actually enabled by social media firms uh their funding and in other ways to have kind of journalism labs to pair smaller publishers with larger publishers so there's some some learning and some cross-pollination there that can happen in, in for innovation so we want to help be a catalyst for that for sure um social media i so I'm not, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to say that the, it, it's not just about the, the good old days or the old model. That that's never what I'm saying. I, I, I mean, I, I, on one hand, I love community journalism for the reasons I talked about already, and a really good newsroom where you have a curated news served up for the community by people that really know the community. Now, you know, you you still have to worry about making sure you get diverse voices in the conversation and that, uh, that you have, you know, more viewpoints represented and, and you're treating different sectors of the community well. Um, but, I mean, it's, the social media algorithms are a huge problem um, and, and because of just the way you can uh, channel people's attention and serve them up uh, a diet that doesn't, you know, doesn't do their understanding of their community or the broader world any good. But um, so, I mean, that's part. The part of the thing now is that there's so much more onus on the news consumer to be your own filter, right? As you were saying, to have, to be able to pull your news from a diverse set of sources, and not, not everybody does that. And um, you know, and not everybody you know should have to, I guess, uh, you know, sift quite so hard. And not everybody has all the, the money or resources to be able to do that with different devices and, and, and to, with as much of their time, you know, with people working multiple jobs or whatever it might be. So, I, I mean, that is a real concern. Um, so, you know, I don't know if I've a answered all your questions specifically, but I mean, that's why I see that having, you know, having good community journalism survive because, you know, whether you're, you know, whether you're prey just to a one particular bad social media algorithm or, um, you know, or, or there's just not enough coverage for your small community, you know, what, some, what does somebody do to make up for that, that larger, broader newsroom expertise that isn't there anymore? Yeah, Terry. Yeah, uh, just a side note. Um, I love to do family genealogy, and one of my favorite places to go is newspapers.com, where I have access mm -hmm. to, oh, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of little past newspapers um, from around the Midwest um, because it also connects generation to generation 
and gives you, as you said, that community identity. Uh, one of my favorite articles was reading about my green aunt Minnie who got run over by, as the article describes, an astroporous nag, that being, <laughs> <laughs> that being the horse, not the, not the woman. But, that's, pretty, so, that's pretty close to grandma got run over by a reindeer. Yeah, that oh, is. Yeah. Yep. There were a lot of horse accidents in the Patey family. But anyway, I, I digress. So, But my question is, so I miss that. And I think people today would miss that if you know, we lose that local news, that local community um, inspiration. So my question, though, is gets to more of the global aspect, because we can't be the only ones that are suffering in our country um, in regards to the social media global phenomena. Have you looked at other transformational news uh, models internationally? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, and we, so... Part of the inspiration for our found, for our foundation structure uh, actually came from there was a foundation uh, attached to the Seattle Times out in, in the Northwest, and so the way that they had a foundation that was formed that was able to help sustain and bolster coverage with one particular newspaper, you know, in a very large metro, and so that was some of the inspiration uh, for how we were created, and we took you know pieces of that model and have, have applied it to half a state. And so that's you know, part of why we're kind of a unique, uh, we're, we're a unique organization, and, and hope we can do some good for a proof of concept here. But to your point, this is a problem the world over. I mean, there there's there are conversations ongoing about uh, news funding in Congress. Um, uh, Australia was recently in the headlines uh, earlier this year uh, for trying to um, you know uh, get more resources for the news industry from uh, the tech firms from the you know, social media and tech giants. Um, there are, are many countries that are going through these very same aches and pains, just as you know, all 50 states are here. Um, so, yeah, so we are, we want to be part of the conversation um, because we want, well, what we do here, we want it to help uh, do good for other regions, and we want to harvest the best learning from, from you know, any corner where this is going on. And, and it, it is happening everywhere, for sure. Okay, Rick, you're going to get the last question. Oh, really? Uh, do we have another three or four hours with Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, just very quickly, what? What's the level of interest uh, have you garnered in uh, Western Iowa for your mission and your goals? Well, I, I mean, I, we're heartened by the interest so far because you know we've been able to, with with not again just in the very initial stages, and you know, we've been able to. Uh, in just in the initial weeks, we raised you know fifty thousand dollars through various channels and, and online and, and some uh, some initial donations and you know, started our conversations with with larger funders and, uh, around the nation. So I've written some pieces. Uh, other people have written some uh, op eds, and so there's there's some good conversation out there. And people are I've had I've fielded dozens of emails. Uh, Kyle at Western Iowa Journalist. Um, Sorry, Kyle at Western Iowa Journalism Foundation dot com uh, from people that just want to volunteer and help. Former journalists, retired journalists, uh, uh, professors, uh, just people. Um, so I, the interest we're, we're really, like I said, we have we're we're operating more quickly than we ever imagined to try to to, to do this work and to save these newsrooms. And so we're really heartened by the outreach so far. 
All right. We would like to thank our guest for this 419th show, Kyle Munson, former journalist for the Des Moines Register and president of the Western Iowa Journalism Foundation. We've been talking about the Western Iowa Journalism Foundation. Our history buff for today's show is Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search Click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.